enjoy it and not be shaking, I guess, but it's great. It's great to be together and be able to study the Word of God together. Wanted to, we're gonna, next week we will finish up our lesson on the reign of God. We're going to look at, uh, through the epistles, uh, what it talks about the kingdom. And then we'll talk a little bit about the relationship to the church and the kingdom of God. One thing we always need to remember is when we talk about the kingdom of God, it is a universal kingdom. It is not a kingdom that is limited. God is overall at all times. So um, we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin this morning. Father, we're always so thankful that we have a, such a great privilege to be able to come before your throne and to lay our, our cares and our anxieties. And Father, to uh, let you know those things that we're in, in desperate need of. We know, Father, that you hear us, that as, as your children, that you love us and that you care for us. And Father, we know that you provide for us, and we want to thank you for that. And we want to thank you especially for the provision of forgiveness of sin through your son Jesus. We're so thankful that he was willing to go to the cross and die for us. But not for only for us, but for all of mankind. So that those that choose to come and be a part of your family, that they can. Father, bless our study today that we might better understand how you work in our lives and how that you bring about your promises and the covenants that you make and how that you cannot lie and that you are true. For this we ask and pray through Jesus unto your glory. Amen. So as we finish up looking at the kingdoms are of Israel, we knew the first one went off into captivity around 722 B.C. and then in, then in 586, southern the southern tribe went off into cap final captivity, the last carrying away into Babylon. And so as, as the kingdoms no longer exist in the eyes of the world, there is really no Israel. But in God promised through the book of Isaiah and other prophets, he said there would be a remnant, a righteous remnant that would be saved. And so God uses the exile prophets to begin to tell them about the things that are coming so that there's hope there's that promise of restoration coming that there is that God is going to restore his kingdom now the Jews believed that it was going to be a physical kingdom they believed that their God was going to restore their throne of David and it would make it where they would rule and they would have power again and then they would be a blessing to all the nations of the world because of that kingdom. Now, it's interesting that if you think about Solomon and all of his wisdom, it talks about how all of these different nations came to Solomon to hear his wisdom and to see in reality how great and magnificent his rule and reign was. And God's letting us know that the reign of Jesus is going to be far greater than what Solomon had. And we'll see how that God's going to work all that out. So here, as, as he works with the prophets, 
the exile prophets and then post-exile prophets. And as the book of Malachi ends, and it's written around 444 B.C., Malachi tells them in Malachi chapter 3 that he's going to send a messenger. And that when that messenger comes, he's going to pave the way for the Lord, the one that he is going to send. Now we saw, and we're going to look at it again, but in Daniel chapter 2, he tells us it was in the days of those last, the four kings, and we talked about the kings that are going to be there. So it was going to be the Assyrians, the Medes, the Persians, the Babylonians. Well, no, it wasn't. It was the, the Babylonians, or the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. In the time of the Romans, that God was going to establish his kingdom. So as the kingdom was going to be established during those kings, so the children of Israel should be looking because he said, in those days, this is what's going to happen. So God had promised that he was going to bring about the restoration of the kingdom for Israel in the days of the Roman kings so that they would understand. Now, I want, let's go over and look at, at Luke chapter 1. There's some amazing things that the angel Gabriel tells to uh, Mary and, and to, to help her understand exactly what God is bringing about uh, through Jesus coming. Look at uh, chapter 1, and we'll look at verse 32. Well, let's go up to 29. Mary was greatly troubled as the words and wondered what kind of greetings this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with a child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So he, Gabriel comes and tells Mary that this is who Jesus is. This is what he's going to do. And he's going to fulfill the Davidic covenant that God made with David. So the promise is coming. The announcement is coming. And so God is going to bring it about. Even though they were wicked, God's going to keep that covenant that he made to David that someone would rule on his throne forever. And so <clears throat> he makes that announcement. And so it was in Jesus that G uh, God fulfills the Davidic covenant. And he tells Mary that he's going to fulfill it through him here. Gabriel makes that announcement to her. And then look over in, in Romans chapter 15. And notice what Paul says that he's telling us that that's actually what happened. Look at verse 8. Well, let's look at verse 7. Accept one another, then must, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God in his mercies as written. For this reason I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. And he goes on and talks about the Gentiles. But it was, then look at verse 12. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. So he's saying that 
the promise that he made, and he says the fulfillment, so Paul was telling the church at Rome, the promise that God made to David that he would establish Jesus on the throne of David's forever was fulfilled. He says, he's telling them here that that actual promise was fulfilled. So the Jews could understand, but also to understand that if you remember the church at Rome, there was a conflict because you had Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, and they were getting along. And so he was trying to help them understand that they're one, that there is no difference, that they were supposed to be united with one another. So I'm not a, I'm not a Greek Christian and you're a Jew Christian. We're just Christians. There is no such difference. And so he's trying to help those Roman Jews under Christians that, look, God promised that this was going to happen and that's what is taking place. And so as he's instructing them to try to understand exactly what God promised, that it was fulfilled. So as we see in the Gospels now, we're going to see how that the kingdom is talked about in, in a lot of different ways than what God is trying to accomplish. <clears throat> forward not backwards so when we look at the kingdom in the gospels there's a couple things we need to understand first of all we need to understand their concept their concept in their minds was the kingdom was going to be Jewish we see that all the way up until Acts chapter 10 until God has to intervene in Peter and help him with Cornelius to understand that there's is to be all-encompassing and the Gentiles are part of the kingdom as well. So, but it, it, it was understood that it was Jewish. So let's look, at, let's look at Matthew chapter 8. This is really an important text to really understand the concepts and the minds of the people that Jesus was trying to teach and help them understand about the kingdom um, for as he was working with them the three years to get them ready to bring the gospel about in the world. Now notice, uh, look at verse 10. It says, when Jesus heard this, he was astonished and he said to those five, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel. He's talking about the centurion that said, if you just say it'll be done, it'll be done. So, he's, and now, so Jesus is talking in re reference to him. He says, I have not, I'm astonished. He said, those five, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith knowing that what God said he could do, he could do. I have, uh, as I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, there, so he wanted them to understand that it wasn't just a Jewish kingdom. But notice, he says, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For them to understand that it really was, the Jews are subjects of the kingdom. Because if you to be a Jew, you had to be able to prove your lineage all the way back to Abraham. And so as they were looking and, and they were planning or hoping for a restoration of Israel, it was going to be a kingdom. And so he's letting them know that that kingdom is there. Now, notice that Paul, I mean, Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, notice what he says. Here again, he's talking about that he first has to go to the Jews 
when he talks to the woman that wants to be uh, healed, and she's not a Jew. <clears throat> Notice verse 24. He answers, I, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, Jesus came to preach to the Jews. He is a Jew. His purpose was to get the Jewish people ready to become a blessing to all of the world in the new order of things. And that they were to go out and to preach the gospel everywhere. And so he says, I was sent to the Jews. Now we know that Jesus teaches other people. There are others that are there that are uh, that are not Jews, that come to him. We know that. But he says, he, he makes it clear that that's why I went there. Look at verse 26. He again says, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. He said he was the first to go to the Jews. Now we know in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it said they were supposed to go to the first to Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And so it was always looked upon. They always had in their minds it was going to be a Jewish kingdom. And for you to be a part of the Jewish kingdom in the church in the first century, early on they thought you had to be a Jew to be a part of the, the church. And we'll see that later in the book of Acts. So, The Jewish people, or Israel, only saw the kingdom as being Jewish. That was the concept of his disciples. He was trying to work with them. Now, if you'll remember, he told them that when he went away and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, that they would be brought into remembrance of all the things he taught them and that the Holy Spirit would give them utterance to what they needed to say when they defended and so when Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2 and the Spirit is working with him, he can stand up and speak boldly about what happened and proclamation and showing how in all of the things that was of their history and how that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. So, but the, the Jews saw this and as Jesus was teaching them, they understood it to be only a Jewish kingdom. Now, God's going to help them uh, understand that that's not true. But they did. he did want them to understand that it was the coming kingdom was closely related to Abraham and to David because they had to see the promise of Abraham fulfilled and the promise of David fulfilled for the kingdom to be there. And God made those promises. Remember in Genesis chapter 22, he told him and said that, because I can't swear by anyone greater, I swear by myself that this will happen. And then in, uh, makes and he tells David in Psalm 89 that one would reign on his throne forever. So God was being merciful to Abraham and his descendants by sending Christ. Look, at, look what he says over in Luke chapter 1 again. Nobody, notice how he is helping them understand exactly what he's 
working out and trying to accomplish is the coming of the kingdom. And as I said before, we always need to remember we're thinking about kingdom. We cannot think of kingdom as just the church. The church is part of the kingdom. It's a universal kingdom that God has made. God is king over all the universe. Now, when we know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, God set him on Mount Zion. We're going to look at that in just a minute. The Psalms tells us that. Psalm 2 says he's going to make him king on Mount Zion. But we're, we see that as God did that, he made him to uh, reign over all the world. And then when, when time is ended, Jesus will give the reign back to the Father. We know that in the book of Revelation. It tells us that. So, but as he is made king, he is the one uh, that is to be king over the universe. Now, notice in verse 55, it says, To Abraham descends forever, even as he said to our fathers. So he's, he's saying, I'm remembering, in verse 54, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham descends forever, even as he said to our fathers. So, Mary's saying this, that, that he's saying God has brought about what God said he was going to do with Abraham. So it had to do, as the kingdom came, it had to do with David and Abraham. And God kept that promise. Look at, look at over later in chapter 1. He again talks about Abraham. He says, he says, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. Now, the enemies that we need to be rescued from, <clears throat> they were thinking it was a physical. But if you remember in the book of Ephesians, it says our, our, our struggle is not with flesh and bone, but with powers and principalities. But our struggle is with Satan and Satan's influence trying to cause people and encourage people to sin, deceiving them to sin and become unrighteous and to turn away from God. And so God is going to bring about a way that we don't have to, we can have a cleansed conscience and be able to be saved. And so with those powers and principalities, we see that. Now look at, look at Luke 1 and verse 69. He'll, he'll state here, it says, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he, he has come and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So the kingdom was always going to have to fulfill the Abraham covenant and the David covenant. And he's telling Zacharias, he's singing this song, is telling that God is bringing that about, that now is the time. And so we, we see that it, there's a lot of people that think that the kingdom has not come yet, that there is a premillennial concept out there in, in the religious world thinking that there's going to be a thousand-year reign and all the things are going to happen. And they've interpreted the book of Revelation kind of uh, incorrectly, in my opinion. But it is... That's not what God did. And we're going to see in a minute, he's going to tell us that the kingdom was at hand. Notice, he'll he, when he comes, when Jesus comes, 
he says in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, he says the kingdom is at hand. Now, hand doesn't mean that 2,000 years later or 3,000 years later. It means it's imminent. It's going to happen. Because you remember in Daniel chapter 2, we always have to remember that he said to them and promised to them as Daniel wrote, he says it was in the days of those kings, Roman kings, that he would set up his kingdom. So, so the prophetic time that was talked about was the first century. He's saying it is at hand. The time has come. The kingdom is near. Then Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, as I just said about that was going to be in the days of those kings. So the fulfillment of the kingdom happened in the first century. It did not, it is not something futuristic. It was something that God promised and it took place, the coming of the kingdom that he promised was in the first century. So five things we see here in in the Gospels, we see, first of all, that the kingdom is Jewish. It's related to Abraham, and it's related to David. And so, in the minds of the children of Israel, it was a Jewish kingdom. Secondly, it is a restored kingdom. God talked about how he was going to restore it. That there was going to be a restoration. We saw how he said it was going to be a Davidic kingdom. So, as he said, the horn of David, that the one in Psalm 2, that he's, uh, he would put him on Zion. And, and then the kingdom involved the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. In, all, in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And we know in Galatians, it tells us that that's, Galatians chapter 3, that that's what, happened it was fulfilled there and that the kingdom was at hand for them so that as Jesus is preaching and talking to them he's trying to help them understand that the kingdom is coming he's trying to get these these 12 men that he's working with in a in a very intimate way to teach them and get them ready to go out and preach the gospel to all the world and that the power that God was going to give them to do that uh, they were going to begin to experience in their ministry. And then we begin to see that God is going to bring about that relationship so to help them understand the relationship that God was going to have with the Jews and the Gentiles. We remember when, Cor when Peter went to Cornelius and he makes the statement, you know, Jews aren't supposed to have anything to do with Gentiles. I wonder what Cornelius thought. I mean, he walks in, he goes, you know, I'm not supposed to have anything to do with you. But what is it you want? And then he tells him what the angel told him. And we're going to look at that in a minute. But it's interesting to me, it took a lot for the Jews to understand about what God was bringing about. But we read earlier in Matthew chapter 8, he talked about how that they were going to come from the east and the west. That was the Gentiles, that they would come to the kingdom, that God would bring them into the kingdom. 
and it embraces people in this life and out of this life. Because remember he said the kingdom was part of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, are they living? Are they living on the earth? No, they're dead. So those that are in and out, the kingdom is going to be part of that. Now we know in the book of Hebrews it says, talks about how that those are gone to the great cloud of witnesses and how that those that are already gone on were part of the kingdom. And so we, we see that the kingdom is that way. And then the kingdom that Jesus is the king. Look over in John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Notice what Jesus says. The next day the great crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now here they are crying out, Jesus found a donkey and he sat upon it. And the scripture says, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. Jesus was the king of Israel. Now, when he went before Pilate, Pilate says, are you the king of, uh, of the Jews? And he says, it is as you say. Now, Jesus became king of the Jews. Now, you, you don't need to agree with me if you want to. I believe that Jesus became the king of the Jews when God anointed him at his baptism, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And from that point on, Jesus was the king of the Jews sitting on the throne of David, fulfilling the promise to David. Jesus saw himself as the king. He was the king. Jesus did not become the king of the universe until he was resurrected. And when he was resurrected with power, declared, he was declared to be the Son of God with power, Romans chapter 1, by the resurrection. And so here as he is, come, is resurrected, then he becomes the king of the universe. And then later he will put all of that, because it says the, the kingdom is at his footstool, and then later he will give it back to the Father when all things are brought to, to a culmination. So he's king. Jesus is king. And then <clears throat> I think something that's really interesting is if you look at Matthew 13, that there are good and evil in the kingdom. Think about this. In Matthew 25, Jesus says they'll come and there'll be a, those that saw me when I was naked and those saw me that was hungry when I was in prison you visited me and all those things that blessed enter into my rest and those that didn't do all those things were wicked and went in were condemned but he talks about how that there are in the Jewish world that there were people that accepted the gospel the teaching of Jesus and those that didn't so there were in that kingdom there were both righteous and wicked and so as you look at the kingdom of God that he's establishing here, there's both wicked and righteous people in it. And those that were wicked are good and evil, God would send off. Look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8. 
John chapter 8. Notice what Jesus says. Verse, starting with verse 32. Let's go to verse 31. It says, To the Jews who have believed him, Jesus says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can we that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you that I have seen in the Father's presence, and, what, what, <clears throat> and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, he answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do the things Abraham did, as it is written. You are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, you had heard from God. Abraham did not do such thing. You are doing the things your father, our own, fa- your own father does. So he says, you are illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. And he goes on to tell them that son there that's followed the devil. But they're in the kingdom. There are good and there are evil in both the kingdom. And so at the end, when judgment comes, we know what happens. There's the parting. The good, the righteous go to be with God and the others are in uh, destruction. And so God helps us understand through the Gospels that Jesus is king over the universe. Because remember in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, he says, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. So Jesus, when he was resurrected, he becomes the king of the universe. God anoints him king of the universe and then he will give it back to the father at the end so we see that God is trying to help them understand about how the kingdom is going to come about and how it was going to work and so as we look at the kingdom so the kingdom has conditions for those to enter we know as we talked about in Ephesians 1, that people are chosen, they're chosen through the gospel. So when a person becomes, can come into the kingdom, they have to be, do it the way God says. Not just decide, I'm going to be a subject to the king. They have to do, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that the world wants to do things their way. And so, there's people out that because they want to make it easy for people, they just say, do this or say this prayer and you're saved. But God has made it clear. He says, you need to reenact what Jesus did for you. You need to reenact the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And when you do, by putting your trust in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, I will operate on you. I will cut away the old man of sin, and you will rise up as a new creature. To walk in newness of life, not in the old life. But people think they can just make some kind of prayer and they're saved. 
But that's not what God said. He said, I've got to operate on you. I've got to cut away the old man. And the only place that takes place is in the baptism. God operates. Look in Colossians chapter 2 and see if it doesn't say that that's what God does. And so the kingdom has conditions which must be met to enter. God has always been it that way. So, and the kingdom and the gospel is said to be spiritual. And we talk, it talks about how that it is a spiritual thing. Notice John 18 and verse 36. Notice what Jesus says. What he says to Pilate. Verse 36, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. Now, what, I just want to make this point. Whenever I talk about spiritual, I want you to know that when Paul talked to the church at Corinth, he talked about how, first of all, it was important he talked about the gospel. Then he started talking about the resurrection. Whatever God plants, God brings out. So the idea is thanatos, that what goes down is raised. So God changes our bodies. He doesn't exchange them. So he changes them so that they can live in the spiritual realm. That's why it has to be changed. Our bodies are designed to live in this realm. We eat, we drink, we breathe air. You know, and when all that quits, we quit doing that, our bodies die. But then when God talks about the resurrection, he's going to change our bodies, and well, he'll give us a change our bodies to be spiritual so that we can live in a spiritual realm, not in a physical realm. And so whenever I say that it's spiritual, that's what he's talking about, that his kingdom is not of this world, it's a spiritual world that he's, he is reigning and ruling over and uh, he will bring defeat to Satan in that world. So as the Gospels, we see what God was trying to accomplish through them and help us understand about the kingdom. And then when we get to the book of Acts, we see what the apostles' perspective was. First of all, their perspective was the gospel goes first to the Jews. We know that, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But Jesus told them to do that. Before he ascends to heaven, he tells them that's what they're to do. And then over and over again, when, when Peter stood up in Acts chapter 2, they, they asserted that the kingdom was a promise to the Jews. So the 12 that are there, as we know they appointed a, 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 a 12th after Judas died, Matthias, and they were to preach the gospel but they were still thinking it was for just for Jews they didn't think it was for Gentiles their concept was it was a Jewish blessing that was to go out to all the world and so it was the kingdom that was promised to their Jewish fathers and that's how Peter tells them on the day of Pentecost just like a problem if you remember in Acts chapter 7 Stephen goes through a, a great iteration of their history and then tells them that they crucified Jesus that because they were stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart. They wouldn't listen and they wouldn't pay attention and they wouldn't come to Jesus and, and accept that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so as a result, 
They killed him. And the concept also was, early in the, in the church, was if a Gentile wanted to become a Christian, they had to be a Jew first. Now, we know there was a lot of conflict. If you look at the problems that Paul had, uh, whenever he went to Jerusalem, it was always with Jews that were for, from outside of Jerusalem. They caused him all kind of anguish. And they're the ones that wanted him arrested when he went back to Jerusalem before he went to Rome. And so, but their concept until we see in Acts chapter 13 when Paul helps them understand that that's not true. Now we know that there are some in Antioch that become Christians and they have to go to Acts chapter 15 and, and they understand that what's happened and how that these people are coming to become Christians that are Gentiles and they said that it's not necessary for them to become a Jew for a couple reasons number one to be a Jew you had to be you had to keep the ceremonial things of the law but also if you were a male you had to be circumcised and so otherwise you couldn't be a Jew and so He's saying, no, that's not important. If you remember in the latter part of the book of Galatians that they were having so much problems with these Jewish teachers that were coming in and trying to get all these people to be circumcised. Now, you can imagine, here I am a Jew that comes in and I'm talking to him and I say, okay, who do you follow? Jesus. Okay, let me see. Now, Jesus, he was a Jew, wasn't he? Yeah. Okay. He, was he circumcised? Yes. Okay. Well, why wouldn't you be? Jesus was circumcised. Why wouldn't you be? And so they weren't going to put a burden on them. They could not keep the law. No one can. Jesus was the only one that kept the law perfectly. They couldn't keep the law, so he says there's no reason for them to do that. So let's look over in Acts 13 real quick and see what, what Paul says. He's helping them understand And, you know, it's, it's really interesting in, before I get to in Acts 10. Peter had to have a lot happen to him, that God had to work with him. He had to see him in a vision three times. He had to tell him that these men are coming to you, and all of a sudden here these men are asking for him. And then he gets there, and he has to have, have Cornelius tell him, well, let me tell you what happened to me. I was told to send for you. And I sent my servants to get you and for you to come here. He said, well, what do you want with that? You know, I'm not supposed to be with you. I'm a Gentile. You're a Gentile. I'm a Jew. And he says, well, God told me you would tell me what I needed to hear. So he begins to preach to him about Jesus. But he doesn't really understand why he's supposed to be preaching to him about Jesus. And it, it wasn't until the Spirit came upon those that were in the room and they realized they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit just as he had the day of Pentecost. He was not ready, nor was he prepared to baptize them into Christ until that happened. And then he makes the conclusion that if God has done this, who am I to go against the goat? How am I, I going to go against what God said? And so then he baptized Cornelius and his household. But God had to work with him. The concept of the apostles up until that point in time was it was a Jewish, Jewish church. 
and only a Jewish church. And then Paul in Antioch helps them understand that that's not what God had intended. Look what he says in verses 32 and 34. We tell you the good news, what God promised our fathers. He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising Jesus from the dead. As is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. And so he said the kingdom, the Davidic kingdom, is fulfilled in Jesus when he raised him from the dead. And so they were teaching and preaching exactly what God wanted them to teach, but God had to intervene to get the Gentiles in the church and do it through Peter. So you can imagine as in Antioch, when Gentiles are being brought to Christ at Antioch, and Peter and, and Barnabas, I mean, Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem in chapter 15, the book of Acts, and talk to the leaders there, and they realize that they're not going to make these Gentiles have their burden. And so it is brought in as a, uh, to be a part of the kingdom and to be blessed by the seed of Abraham. And so... As we see in Acts, this is what, what we see. We see that the kingdom of God is proclaimed as fulfilled. He says it in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. He says it again in Acts chapter 2 and verse 33 that God exalted him to be uh, to his right hand. In Psalm 2 verse 6, he said, I'll place him on Mount Zion, the king on Zion. And the Gentiles would share, would share in the blessings of the kingdom. And we saw, we talk, I talked about that in Acts chapter 10. So God was trying to help in the book of Acts to see how that this all was fulfilled and that everything that he had been telling them for thousands of years is coming. And now it's happened. And now it's happened. That, that the Gentiles were going to share in the in the in the blessing that God had made through Abraham. Isn't it interesting how you have 39 books in the Old Testament and, and it weaves throughout and you see how that God is working. He closes the book and then there is all this time in between when you see that they're trying to restore the kingdom during the time of the Maccabeans and all the problems with the Greeks and the things that are trying to destroy the temple and God still... Is working with them, being patient with them. And then at the right time, the time of the Roman kings, and think about how God worked it out. God gave a universal language. He gave them a world that was very convenient to get around and to do things with. And for their day, it was phenomenal. And at that time, he sends his son to restore that which was lost. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. 
And he came to be a blessing to both Jews and Gentiles. And until they understood that, uh, the fulfillment didn't happen. So God made it accomplished. Now, next week we'll start looking at, we'll look at what God says about the kingdom and the epistles, and then we'll talk about a little bit about the relationship of the church and the kingdom. Remember, the kingdom is universal. Church is a part of the kingdom. It isn't just the kingdom. Now, sometimes the church is called the kingdom of God. We'll look at that. We'll try to understand the concepts that God is trying to get across to us so we understand. But the one thing we always need to remember, God is God of the universe. He rules in wicked nations and in righteous nations. He is king. No matter what anybody else thinks, he's still king. God is king of the universe. And he's, he's given it to Jesus to reign and to rule until all is finished. And then Jesus will give it back to the Father in the last, at the last. So we see that God made that blessing to bring it about. I'm glad that he helps the Gentiles see that we can be a part of the kingdom of God. Because that's what we are. We're, we're Gentiles. Well, we'll finish there. We'll start up with uh, that. And then the following, in the first Sunday in February, we're going to start looking at Paul's relationship with the church at Ephesus. Now, we'll look at the book. We're gonna, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the history of Ephesus, and what went on in that city. And then we're going to look at the book of Acts and see how the Paul interacts with the church at Ephesus. Then we'll go to the book of Ephesus and study it and see what Paul is trying to help them understand and do and work with them. And then as Timothy is preaching to the church at Ephesus, so then we'll look at First and Second Timothy. And then we'll conclude this study by going to the book of Revelation and seeing what God has to say about the church at Ephesus near the end of the first century. So that's what uh, I hope that uh, if you want to start doing some study, what, I, what I'm trying to do, and I, I'm not saying you need to do this every day, but I'm trying to read the book of Ephesians, First and Second Timothy every day so that as we study it, we can really see the correlations between all three books as Paul is writing. So um, that's where we'll be. Appreciate your attention, and uh, we'll finish up this study next week.